You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. And now, Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be pleasing in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and redeemer. Amen. On, on long trips, I like to have a little fun with my kids when the opportunity presents itself. My wife is not a fan of what I'm about to tell you. Um, but when my, my kids are deep into some activity and we're on the road, maybe even maybe asleep, I like to, on the highway, hit the brakes really hard and scream at the top of my lungs. Um, it's especially effective when I scream something like, Dear Lord, help us. I know that's a little demented, I'm not proud of this, but the reactions are parenting gold. Our our text this morning in Ephesians is a wake-up call. Paul, in Ephesians 5, is tapping on the brakes. He's jolting us to attention. Be very careful how you live, says Paul, not as unwise but as wise, making the most of the time because the days are evil. In the previous verses, Paul says, wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. So in effect, what Paul is saying in this part of Ephesians is, rouse yourself to the truth of Jesus Christ. Align your life towards him. For four and a half chapters in Ephesians, Paul describes with bold and bright colors the mysteries of Jesus Christ. Can you listen to some of these snippets from Ephesians? They're familiar to you, I'm sure. In Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished upon us. Here's a familiar refrain. You were dead in your trespasses and sins, but God, who is rich in his mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace that you have been saved. And on and on Paul goes, presenting the glorious power and strength of Jesus Christ and the beauty of his saving grace for sinners. And then right in the middle of the book, Paul stops and he prays. And and this is what he prays. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father from where every family in heaven on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory he may grant you to be strengthened with power through through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and that you being rooted and grounded in love may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses all knowledge that you may be filled with, and tuck this phrase away for later, all the fullness of God. I mean, Ephesians is such a rich book. If you you need a pick-me-up, In the middle of a dry season of the soul, let me suggest the book of Ephesians to you. Because Paul wants you to know that if you've encountered Jesus Christ and his grace, then you've encountered the most profound and the most glorious mystery of the entire universe. Paul may sound grandiose in Ephesians because the truth of the gospel is grandiose. Bold and bright colors in this painting. And now in Ephesians 5, Paul's tamping on the brakes. He's telling the Ephesians to wake up 
He's calling them to embody the knowledge of Jesus Christ revealed to them, a reflective life before Jesus leads to the path of wisdom. A thoughtless and unreflective existence leads to foolishness. And when we're asleep at the wheel, often as we all are, our path will skew toward foolish highways. And just like Jonah, fast asleep in the recesses of the ship, we, we need a wake-up call. If you, if you look at the text this morning in your bulletin or your handout, Paul, you see, has an acute sense of time. Redeem the time, he says, because the days are evil. It might sound a little bit like a revivalist preacher here this morning, but Paul wants us to know that we're living on borrowed time here on this planet. God can appear at any moment, Paul says, to bring this whole thing to an end. And so this, these verses here are a wake-up call to number our days, to recognize the limits of our humanity. All flesh is grass, here one day and gone the next. Or as the bumper sticker maybe you've seen, Jesus is coming soon, so look busy. So if our days are numbered and time is a precious commodity, then spend your days, Paul says, seeking God's face. Lord, what's your will revealed in Jesus Christ? Lord, what are your wishes? How might I please you with my gifts? And then out of nowhere, and this is the jolt, I think, of the text this morning, Paul says, don't be drunk with wine. That's debauchery. (laughs) What a word. That's a great parenting word, debauchery. I mean, other translations say excess. You could read the word as wasteful or reckless extravagance. It's as if every country song on the subject comes in for illustrative purposes right now. Whiskey River, anyone, right? Why does Paul bring drunkenness up here? And it's not immediately clear because it's not a natural move in the flow of the text. Some, by the way, suggest that Paul brings up drunkenness because by innuendo, he's suggesting these Greco-Roman banquets that began with heavy drinking and then later in the evening led to more excess. I mean, you can fill in the blanks here. I read a piece several years back in The Atlantic about sexual crimes that are taking place on university campuses across our country. It's actually a bit of of an epidemic, frankly. And inevitably, in all these salacious stories, the one common component was was alcohol. So it, it doesn't stretch any of our imaginations to understand what Paul says about drunkenness leading to all kinds of debauchery or recklessness. Don't be drunk with wine, Paul says. It leads to all kinds of problems. But it's still not immediately clear why Paul brings drunkenness up right here until we read the next phrase right after it. I think on our own devices, we would probably say something like this, don't be drunk with wine, that leads to all kinds of excess, rather be sober, be temperate, be prudent, but that's not what Paul says. Paul says, be filled with the Spirit. The phrase, do not be drunk with wine, which leads to debauchery, is set in contrast to being filled with the Spirit. And these two phrases are now working together in such a way that they they mutually inform one another. And we have to press in a little bit to understand what's going on. All, All week long on my sermon legal pad, I had the following question written at the top. What does it mean to be filled by the Holy Spirit? I mean, I think we hear this phrase and immediately probably think in terms of being taken over by the Spirit or in terms of maybe some ecstatic experience. And I don't mean to downplay any of those experiences that you have or have not had. But I think Paul is speaking about something more definitive here. 
namely finding fulfillment. And not just finding any fulfillment, but finding the fulfillment that only the Holy Spirit can provide and the place where the Holy Spirit promises to provide it, namely in the community of the redeemed. And now the drunkenness phrase, which appears to kind of come out of nowhere, makes a bit more sense, takes on more life, more color. Whiskey River will not lead you to a place of true fulfillment. Whatever we're seeking in the bottle, it will not give you ultimately and finally what you're after. Drunkenness might promise so much, but it, but it never leads to where you want to go. Emptiness. But the truth be told this morning, I think the Apostle Paul could have put a whole host of things in the place of drunkenness. It's a big fill-in-the-blank for you and for me. Whatever you turn to when you're seeking satisfaction or distraction, it will not lead to fulfillment. Not the kind of fulfillment that we're really after. I um, pulled a book off my shelf this week that I hadn't, I hadn't looked at in some time by, by Dr. Armand Nikolai called The Question of God, and it compares and contrasts Sigmund Freud and C.S. Lewis's views of God and satisfaction, living well, sex, and the list goes on. He had taught this course for years at Harvard and then finally put together his lecture notes into book form. In the chapter entitled, How Shall We Live?, Nikolai provides the following description of pleasure from C.S. Lewis. And as an aside, I do think C.S. Lewis is a kind of theologian of, of, of pleasure. I mean, I'll let you sort of chase that. But th- this is what Lewis says, or what Nikolai says. Although Lewis believes that all forms of pleasure, fun, happiness, and joy come from God, who freely gives them to be enjoyed, Lewis admits that these earthly pleasures never completely satisfy us. We have plenty of fun, maybe even some ecstasy, Lewis writes, but they never quite satisfy our yearnings. God withholds from us the settled happiness and security which we all desire. Otherwise, Lewis says, we would think this world our home rather than a place that we're just passing through. He writes that the Creator refreshes us on the journey with some pleasant inns or hotels, but will not encourage us to mistake them for our home. Our text this morning, I believe, is Paul's big slam on the brakes moment. If Jesus Christ is real, if what God says about him is true, If Jesus marks the unveiling of the deepest mysteries of the universe and time itself hinges on his person, then beware, Paul says, and wake up. Take note of those false messiahs that offer so much, whose fragrances are so sweet, only to leave our mouths filled with sawdust once again. Enjoy God's good gifts in this world, that fellowship around the table with family and friends, or that you fill in the blank. But they're just hotels They're just ends along the way. They can never be home for us because they're simply not big enough for you and for me. But Jesus Christ, revealed by the Holy Spirit, Paul has already told us back in chapter three what's being offered by the Spirit in Jesus. Can I tell you the phrase one more time? Here it is, all the fullness of God. I believe this is what Paul is after in these verses. Don't stand in front of the rocky mountains of God's being and get sidetracked by the candy shelf in the gas station. 
Paul says Jesus offers you the fullness of God's being. Now I imagine if I were sitting where you are, I might say, you know, Mark, that sounds a little abstract, maybe a little too poetic for the contours of my complicated life. I got Monday morning facing me tomorrow. So, So bear with me for a second because this text really good, and if I can be a little nerdy this morning, grammatically beautiful. Because Paul makes his statement find fulfillment in the Holy Spirit and then follows that statement with several linked grammatical phrases that unpack for us what this fulfillment's all about. You ready for these operative terms? Here they are. Speaking to one another. Singing. Psalming. Giving thanks. Submitting to one another in humility. Listen to what he says in fullness. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence of Christ. These are such rich verses, and I should tell you that most interpreters of this passage read all these I-N-G phrases, singing, speaking, as if they are the result of what the Holy Spirit does when we find fulfillment in him. And I think that is true indeed. But can I suggest maybe another entry point into our text this morning? They are the result and quite possibly also the means by which we find ourselves back toward fulfillment. Here's the pathway by God's grace back to true fulfillment in Christ when we've got lost on the candy aisle once again. Sing, make melody, give thanks. Walk in humility and with a teachable spirit with your brothers and your sisters in Christ Jesus. We need the community of faith, both on Sundays and throughout the week. We need to be together each week in the sphere or the location of the Holy Spirit. We need this weekly gathering where the brakes are put on again and we are awakened to the truth in word and sacrament and song. Paul wants us to wake up. And he gives us all the sniffing salts that we really need. I'm not sure if you've thought of it this way before, but each week when we gather together, we are speaking to one another as we sing songs and hymns and spiritual songs. We're all acting like little preachers every Sunday morning when we sing together, Lead on, O King Eternal. Guide me, O Thou Great Jehovah. Surely it is God who saves me. In Christ alone my hope is found. How firm a foundation, ye saints of the Lord. Paul wants us to know that when we worship together as the community of the redeemed, Jesus is here by the Spirit in our midst, and we're speaking to one another and preaching to one another as we sing together, as we submit to one another. The days are evil, friends. There are dragons out there. Our moment in its natural course does not feel like a fulfillment moment. And I really feel acutely aware now that, maybe more than I have in a while, that evil lurks in our world, often disguising itself as light. And it is so tempting for you and for me to wage war against the world according to its own terms. Vitriol and anger, fear and power-grabbing, Yet Paul, this morning in Ephesians 5, invites you and me into a completely different way of being, to the truth, to a person, 
to Jesus Christ who already lives and reigns. We're his, and the Holy Spirit offers us fullness and fulfillment in him. In fact, all the fullness of God in Jesus Christ. But you know yourself like I know myself. We'll turn to the bottle again. We'll play in the mud once more. We'll get lost on the candy aisle again. And God in his grace, knowing that we're just dust, will once again open the doors of our hearts and the doors of this church and the doors of churches all over the world and say, come on in. Let's sing. Let's make music together. Let's give thanks to God together for his innumerable gifts. Let's worship before the king whose beauty is beyond compare and whose grace is as deep as the ocean. Because it's here where we find true fulfillment. Or perhaps better, it's here where true fullness will find us. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you will join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.